You're listening to A Playful Podcast, where I talk about everything from the wonders of messy play to stories from my wonderful but messy life. I'm Mariah, and I'm the creator of A Playful Purpose Learning for Littles, and I'm so glad you found me. All right, let's get this party started. Welcome back to A Playful Podcast. We're at episode four, and today's episode is all about mess. I have a very funny relationship with mess because in my personal life and in some contexts in the classroom, I really don't like it. And then in other contexts, I absolutely love it. And this is pretty evident when I talk about sensory play. But in today's episode, we're going to talk about different ways to help manage and get on board with mess in a couple different ways. Before we dive in, we will do our weekly check-in where I just tell you a little bit about what's going on in my life to keep you in the loop and connected. So I know I've been talking a lot about Andrew's sleep. Nights are going way better for us right now, which is a huge relief for a couple of reasons. First of all, everyone's sleeping better. Second of all, I have an evening for the first time since he was born. Before this, I would put him down, and then about an hour later, I'd have to spend multiple hours up with him, calming him down, which meant that I never had any time in the evening because my entire night was spent getting him ready to sleep. And while this was necessary for him at the time, it meant that my day basically ended at 6 p.m., So now that he's going to bed, I suddenly have all this time in the evening, which is great for relaxing, getting stuff done, and spending time with Dave. So basically, as a result of all of this, my mental health has gone way up, which is a huge relief because I'm not going to lie, it was kind of at an all-time low last week and the week before. His ability to sleep better at night is really helping everyone in our household, so fingers crossed it continues to improve and everyone just can stay happy. (laughs) In other happy news, my mom is coming to visit. I'm so excited. She's going to be here at the end of November for a week, which means she'll help be able to set up the advent calendar and our Christmas tree, which is really special because those are important traditions in our family. And my mom is the queen of Christmas trees. Hers are always completely stunning. And I usually send her photos asking for advice about what I need to add to mine. So it'll be great to have her with me here to do it together. And it'll be really special to set up our advent calendar together because, again, that's a huge tradition in our family. And yeah, maybe I'll have her come on the podcast and we can talk all about our Christmas traditions. That would be super fun. If you want me to have her as a guest, let me know and I'll try and convince her. In a playful purpose world, there's not too much new. I made a new product, which is new pre-made centers, all themed for fall. And it's so, so, so cute. I love it. There's coloring pages, math pages, some fine motor mats. And basically the idea is that your tabletop center is themed for fall. So all you have to do is print them out, grab a couple loose parts and put them on your tables and you're good to go. I also hosted my first Learn With Me workshop and I cannot hype it up enough. It was so amazing. I absolutely loved it. I worked with five amazing educators and we talked about the flow of the day. I shared kind of my experience with different schedules. I shared the important things you need to consider with your schedule and then everyone had time to troubleshoot their own schedules. And when they left, the feedback was amazing and everyone was so excited to head back into work and try out their new flows. I was just on a high the whole day. I loved working in that small group setting and connecting with people and connecting back into the kindergarten world, which has just made me so excited for the rest of the four sessions. Coming up this weekend, I have a planning one and I'm getting ready for that this afternoon. And yeah, I'm just super jazzed about it. So if you're listening and you attended the workshop, thank you so much. If you're attending one coming up soon, I can't wait to see you there. And if you weren't able to get a spot, there is one spot left in my behavior management workshop, which will be on November 13th, which is a Saturday morning. In other news, there are still some play kits left. So if you want to grab one, let me know. My website's currently down for maintenance, but you can send me a DM and I'll hook you up. And other than that, I'm just excited to jump into the podcast today and talk to you about one of my favorite topics, which is mess. 
So let's be real here. Mess in my real life is a huge trigger for my anxiety. And this mostly manifests with cluttered surfaces. I cannot handle it if there is stuff out on the counters, on the top of the dressers, on our bar, on tables, or on benches. If there is stuff lying around, I cannot cook in the kitchen. I cannot work in my office. I need the surfaces to be clean. Now that's not to say I'm hyper-organized. If you look inside closets or if you look inside drawers, you would be shocked to see that it's a complete disaster zone. But that doesn't bother me. As long as I can close the door and not see it, I'm fine. So while the surface might be clean underneath, it's basically an illusion. But this is just one of the ways that my anxiety manifests. I cannot handle it when things are cluttered and when my environment is really distracting to me. In general, it just affects my ability to focus and quite frankly, to be a nice human. What's been an adjustment is that Dave and I have very different mess tolerances. So I lived by myself for years and years and years and I was able to keep my environment obviously the exact way that I want it to be. But also when you live by yourself, if you make a mess, it's your own mess and it's your responsibility. So it feels a bit different. When you live with someone, all of a sudden their mess impacts you and their mess affects you because it's everywhere around you. And when we were long distance, I was basically fooled into thinking that he was as tidy as I was. And it was a trap, let me tell you. When I visited, his apartment would be pristine. We would be messaging and he would tell me, oh, I'm cleaning my kitchen. I'm doing this. I can't go to bed with a messy kitchen, yada, yada, yada. And that's still true. He cannot go to bed with a messy kitchen, but it's the clothes. I do not understand this. The clothes on the floor is a weird thing where he'll take off, you know, whatever he was wearing that day and just leave it on the floor. And it drives me bananas. Every time I walk into our bedroom, there are clothes all over the floor and I truly just cannot understand it. I'm trying to convince him that we should get a second laundry hamper and it's not the dirty clothes hamper it's another hamper that he can put his clothes in that he wants to wear again so at least they're contained and i can't see them but he thinks that's a pretty weird idea but i just got rid of the chair in our bedroom that was the clothes holding chair so we'll see if maybe i can convince him to get that hamper after all he's also one of those people that doesn't clean while he goes when we're cooking which is something that i was taught to do growing up so now i'm banished from the kitchen when he's making meals because it would just make him annoyed that i would try and clean around him or that I would make comments about how dirty it was. So I just give him his space when he's being very kind and making us food, which honestly is a lot of the time because I'm so busy with the baby. And this is kind of similar to how I was in the classroom as well. And anyone who's worked with me can definitely attest to this. I had the same thing about surfaces. The counters in our room, the tops of shelves, our tables, the desks areas, outside in the cubbies has to be clear. It would make me just so annoyed if things were just left out or if things would collect there. You know, like when people make piles when they don't know where something goes and they put it on the counter. I did not like that. So then I eventually had to make a basket of things you don't know where they go basket and put them in here and I felt better about it. I just need things to have a place and I need things to be clear. Again, same thing. Inside the cupboards, inside the closets of our classroom, it wasn't super organized. But on the outside, it looks super organized. So now let's talk about mess during play. Overall, I think I'm pretty tolerant to mess during play because I can see the value in it and I can see there's a lot of purpose going on when there's a mess. I see a lot of value in the movement of materials from one spot to another, and I know this is not everyone's cup of tea. So for example, it never bothered me if someone would take loose parts off the table and bring it to the dramatic play area if they had a plan for it. As long as whatever they were moving from one spot to another wasn't getting ruined and it was reset during the cleanup, I was totally fine with it. And what I mean by reset is that if you took loose parts to the kitchen and you used them as something, they need to go back to the loose parts table in the container when we clean up. I totally get why people don't like this, especially when there's a tendency for things to kind of wander off and get lost or to get broken and get misused. Totally get it. And I've been there. 
but overall, I think I'm pretty tolerant about a high level of mess during play. That being said, when the play is done, cleanup has to happen. So even if playtime is still continuing on for another 20 minutes, if my littles have left that activity, they've moved on to something else, they have to clean it up before they go. And that just helps keep the overall room a lot more manageable. It makes cleanup a lot shorter, and it just shows a general respect for materials, and it shows a sense of responsibility. When we're done with something, we put it away. This level of tolerance also extends to outdoor education for me. I am totally fine with playing in the mud, playing in the puddles, rain, sand, you name it, I'm into it. I do promote appropriate dressing when it comes to playing outside, especially as it pertains to safety. So for example, we can't go out in the rain if people don't have the proper rain gear because they might get too cold, they might get too wet, and they might get sick. So that would be a safety concern. Same with during winter play. Other than that, I'm an all-weather type of girl. We can always change our clothes. We are all washable. And I actually sent out a letter about this as a freebie to my email list a couple weeks ago about embracing messy play and about how we're washable and how everything is going to be okay if you get a little dirty. So I'll probably send that out again after this podcast episode to my email list next week as a little reminder so you can send that home with your families. But it is true. Even if you're completely covered in mud, at the end of the day, you can have a bath, wash it off. You're as good as new and you've had so much valuable learning. I just see so much value in outdoor play and getting messy that I think it's a lot easier for me to get on board with it than maybe other people who are less comfortable with this because believe me, I know that allowing our littles to get super dirty outside is not everyone's cup of tea. But to me, when I see them playing in the mud and getting super messy, I'm able to see the amazing problem solving and engagement, the development of an understanding of cause and effect, all of the STEM that's going on, and the fun. But most importantly, that they're developing a resilience to playing outside and to playing in conditions that are not optimal conditions. And this just sets them up for success in so many areas of their life. And then, of course, there's sensory play, which is totally my jam. And I know that you all know this already, but yes, it's messy. But again, this doesn't bother me because I can see that there's so much value in it and there's so much that you can do to mitigate this mess that it's a non-issue to me, basically. So I want to help all of you get on board with the mess. And what I'm going to help you do today is talk about finding the value in the mess and helping minimize the mess. And it's really important to start by finding the value because otherwise it's easy to get swept up in just feeling overwhelmed and feeling frustrated when you see a mess in front of you. But if you can focus on the learning that's happening and the engagement that's happening, it is a lot easier to accept the mess and to find the value in it. The first thing you're going to do when you notice a mess is stop. You're going to want to intervene right away and start instigating cleanup and start bringing over little brooms and wet rags or telling them to play in another area and shutting down the center completely. But I'm going to encourage you to stop, pause, and think for a minute. Let those feelings of frustration come in and out of your body, honor them, and then before acting on them, I want you to just observe what's going on. Even if the first thing you observe is an overwhelming amount of silliness, try and see past it and see the good in what's going on. And this often happens at, for example, a water table. You look over and they're having a laugh of a time. Everyone's shrieking and splashing water around. And your your first instinct is to go over, separate the friends and close down the center. Put the lid on the water table and then clean up that mess. But instead, I would encourage you to pause just for a few seconds and notice what's going on. Even when they're shrieking and splashing, learning is happening. First of all, they're incredibly engaged. And maybe these are busier friends, so the play is a little bit busier than you'd like. 
but there's no arguing that they're incredibly engaged in what they're doing. Second of all, they are without a doubt communicating to each other and developing some sort of skills, whether it's fine motor skills, communication skills by talking to each other, problem solving skills, sharing skills. There are things going on that have value in that play, even if it's not the most appropriate play for that scenario. In general, with sensory play and with any sort of messy play, you're going to see an increase in engagement. There is just something so fun about getting messy. It's also incredibly intuitive. When we allow our kids to play how they want to play without worrying about making a mess, we're embracing what they want to do and we're embracing what's developmentally appropriate for them at that moment. By allowing them to be intuitive and use materials naturally, we're honoring them as the leaders of their play. This is so powerful. We're increasing confidence, we're increasing problem solving and innovation, and we're encouraging our littles to be responsible for their own learning and for their own fun, which honestly just takes a lot of the pressure off of you and and reduces the amount of times that you're going to hear, I'm bored, I don't know what to do, and will you play with me? Don't get me wrong, I love playing with my littles, but I love it more when they play with each other and when they're engaged and loving the learning that's going on around them. This frees me up to document, work with small groups, clean up other areas, take a well-deserved breathing break, or do whatever I need to do around the room. The other thing you'll notice about when we're getting messy, whether we're outside, playing in the mud, or there's a huge elaborate thing being built on the carpet, or there's sensory play going on, is that it's appropriate for a diverse range of age groups and skill levels. That's because it's incredibly open-ended. What that means is that you'll have groups of friends playing together that might never have played together before because they have such differing levels of ability. Let's look at oral communication, for example. At the sensory table, I have witnessed countless times students who have never played together all of a sudden playing together beautifully. And that's because the ones that have a higher level of oral communication are able to encourage the more quieter, shyer, or maybe those who don't even speak the language, they're able to encourage them and kind of pull out that language through them in a safe space. Because for our lower students in this scenario, they don't need to speak in order to participate and in order to engage. They can use the materials, they can be pouring, they can be laughing. They don't need to speak. There's no narrative that's essential for this type of play. However, the ones that are strong at oral communication are going to use a narrative, which means that we're exposing our littles with lower communication directly, which is going to help them develop their own skills. Same with outside. You'll notice that the quieter students are suddenly a little bit more loud, everyone's energy is higher, and everyone's feeling a little bit more free. If we start spending our entire outdoor education block going around and mitigating mess and saying, don't play there and don't do that and don't climb up the slide and I'll do a whole thing on risky play another time, don't worry. And don't play in that puddle and don't play that and don't play in the mud over there and put that stick down. If you spend your whole outdoor education block doing that, it's exhausting for you, first of all. And second of all, you're creating an environment where they're not really sure what they're allowed to do and we're putting limits on their learning. When we learn to trust our littles and when we learn to accept the fact that they might get a little bit dirty, a lot more amazing learning is going to occur and a lot less stress for you is going to occur. That being said, there are plenty of things we can do to minimize the mess. The reason we start by stopping and looking and acknowledging the mess and acknowledging the learning that's happening so that when we go to clean up the mess, we're doing it in a completely different lens. If you can see the value in the play that's happening, you are way less likely to shut it down and you are way more likely to problem solve with your littles to make the play happen in a way that you're more comfortable with and that is maybe a little bit more appropriate for the situation. The first way you're going to do this is by explicitly saying what your expectations are. And this is going to happen all the time. 
This is going to happen before the play happens, this is going to happen during play, and it's going to happen after play. Because it takes our littles a lot of time to really understand the expectations we're putting forward with them, and mess is no exception. For example, at your Monday morning meeting, when you're talking about all your centers for the week, you're going to say, all right, and in the sensory table this week, we have potion play. So we've got bubbles, and we have flowers, and we've got different sizes of containers for you to go over and mix and create all these magical things, and I can't wait to see what you're going to come up with. And then you're just going to go over the rules of the water table really quickly. And you can do it either by just telling them or you can do it more collaboratively, which is I like where you ask someone to say, who can remind me a rule of the water table? And they'll take turns sharing them. Or another favorite way of mine is to kind of say the opposite statements and get them to laugh about it, which helps reinforce the real rules. So for example, you'd say, when I want the water table, should I pour water all over the ground? And they're going to say, no. And you'll keep going until all the rules have been covered. Then during play, you're going to be paying attention to what's going on everywhere in the room. And if you notice that maybe play is getting a little bit too too messy for your comfort level, you'll just walk over to the friends and you'll very calmly say, oh, does everyone here remember the rules about the water table? I'm just noticing there's a bit of water on the floor. And hopefully they'll say, oh yeah, sorry. And the play will then continue on in the level that you're comfortable with. If it's gotten really, really out of hand and there's water everywhere and their energy level is extremely escalated, you're going to pause, notice what's going on, notice the learning, take a deep breath and then approach them and say, I think we need to pause for a minute and do a cleanup break. We don't have to leave the center, but we do need to clean up before we can continue because some of our rules about sensory are being broken, so we can't keep playing. And then you're going to model how to clean up. And this modeling piece is the next really important piece of the puzzle. Even if you've said the expectations, sometimes with our littles, they don't know what that means and they can't picture what it means. And one of our roles as the educator is to help them understand word to action. Perhaps you'll start by modeling the play itself before a messy situation has even occurred. You'll go over there, you'll start pouring different potions and you'll say out loud, oh, I'm just going to move my potions on top of the water bin while I'm pouring them so that if water spills out, it goes right back in the bucket. You also can model how to clean up when a mess inevitably happens, because of course a mess is going to happen. Life is messy. So you go over, you see this mess on the ground, and you'll say, oh, uh, let's pause, we're all going to clean up, and then we'll jump right back into play. How should we clean this up? You'll brainstorm ideas together, you'll grab some rags, you'll start cleaning it up, and then when everything is cleaned up and ready to go, you can model that appropriate playing again and leave them with a reminder of the expectations. And in my experience, this works 80% of the time. Of course, sometimes you'll have your friends that are just going to get really rowdy right away again, and then maybe that's the time for you to redirect them to another center and to have them try again at a later date. I think it's also important to remember that mess to us is likely always going to be a larger factor than it is for our littles. They probably don't care if our classroom is super messy or if their playroom is messy as much as we do. That being said, there are some littles who really thrive on having the same kind of environment that I was talking about, where they need to have a clean and calm environment in order for themselves to focus and be a nice human. Making sure that we're balancing the fact that we don't want to be spending our whole day cleaning, we don't want to be spending our whole day troubleshooting, managing mess, but we also want to honor the fact that there are some littles who really do need that kind of environment in order for their learning to be really conducive. Getting our littles involved with the cleanup process is really the main way we're going to reduce the pressure on ourselves, reduce the frustrations that we're feeling, and to increase the responsibility that's on them for cleaning. At the end of the day, if you're not the one making the mess, you should not be the one cleaning up the bulk of the mess. And the faster they learn that, the easier your life is going to be. 
I know this is all easier said than done, and it's coming from someone who really does love mess, but I hope that this episode at least has started to get your wheels turning and has started to encourage you to see that there is value in mess and that at the end of the day, we are all washable. If you want to keep learning about messy play and sensory with me, I have a short course and a membership, and if you'd like to join either of them, never hesitate to shoot me a DM and I'll hook you up with the links. I want to thank you so much for helping me choose the topic for this week's podcast. If you ever have any episode suggestions, I would love to hear them. And that brings us to the end of this episode of A Playful Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, sparkle and shine.